0: Good morning. This morning, I'm beginning a series of messages from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I attach no length of time to the series because I'm not sure if it's going to be four weeks or six weeks or seven years. I don't know. I have chosen the letter to the Ephesians because of its rich. Theological content on its description of who Christ is. It also has a very powerful devotional quality attached to it. At different times in my life, I've opened up the book of Ephesians and found the word that I needed. But it's also appropriate for us because it gives rich and beautiful imagery for what it means to be in Christ. All throughout the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says, We are in Christ. And when he talks about being in Christ, he's not talking about me or you. He's talking about us, the church. And at one point in the letter, Paul writes these words... He's praying from a deep place in his spirit when he says, my prayer for my people and for my church and for the people of Ephesus is that you would grow in the knowledge of God. That's my prayer, that we would grow in knowledge of who God is and what God wants. Then he prays the second prayer, and he says, I pray that your mind would be opened to the hope we have in Christ, and you would live from a place of confidence. We could use more confidence. We could use more hope. That's my prayer. And then the third thing he says is he says, we have power available to us that we can't even imagine and dream about. Power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power available to you to get you up out of whatever you're living in to live a new and happy life. But not just a power for you, but a power for the church. And so his prayer is, as he writes this letter, that our eyes would be open as to the depths and the riches and the beauty of what Jesus can do living in us and through us. And so as I opened up this letter, I said, Lord, what is it that you want for your people? For your church, and my mind has been on this one verse. This one verse where Paul says that at the right time, the right time, and this just feels like the right time right now for me, he says, and this is the plan, that at the right time, is this the right time? It's always the right time when you're you're seeking a word, this is the right time, that he will bring everything together. You know, I look at the world and I see it feels like the world's coming apart. It feels like things are coming unglued. It feels like things are coming unhinged. And it's not just natural disasters. It's that we are, as a people, are pulling ourselves apart. And he says that through Jesus, that Jesus is the one force at work in our world, that Jesus came to reconcile God to human beings and human beings to one another through his death on the cross. And that, to me, seems like the right time for us, for Jesus to be at work in our world, to bring people together, everything together. Oh, I'm going to preach now, and I'm just getting started. And that he wants to do at the right time for our church. Our church, this moment... This time, he wants to bring us together. And how will he do it? Not under my teaching. Not under your values. Not under my personal agenda. Not under the agenda of some celebrity preacher or some politician. But under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't like that word authority very much. I'm one that has a tendency to rebel against authority. I'm one that doesn't like authority. I'm a, pro- I'm a troublemaker. I couldn't think of the word, but I'm a troublemaker. But I, what I've learned about Jesus from Paul is that if you're going to be under someone's authority, let it be under the authority of Christ. Because Christ is a good and loving Savior, and God is a good and loving God. And he says he's going to bring us together under his authority, everything in heaven and on earth. And this is what he says at the end of the chapter. He says that God has put all things under the authority of Jesus. That he has delegated Jesus to bring his message to the world, giving him the authority over us and the church over all things for the benefit of the church. And he says, the church, this group of people, not this building, but you people are the body of Christ. And that he lives in you and in me. And that through us, he's going to bring his fullness and presence and power and hope and knowledge to the world. That's a big call, isn't it? That's the right time. Is this the right time? I think it's the right time. It's the right time for me. It's the right time to bring us together. Good analogy. I'm on a, I'm on a mission this year. I'm going to read 24 books, and I'm already done. I love to read, and I just finished reading a good book, one of the best books I've ever read, and I've read a lot of books. This is called The Boys in the Boat. Before I read it, I knew absolutely nothing about crew rowing. Crew rowing is a, was a very popular sport in the beginning of the 1900s and still remains so. But I had no idea the effort and the physical regimen required and what it took to row a nine-man boat. This book is wonderful because it tells the story not only of rowing and the quest of nine men, young men, at the University of Washington who went to Berlin to win the gold medal in rowing, and their story. But it tells the story of the Great Depression. It talks about the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma that, that drew people out to California and to the West Coast. And it talks about the rise of power, of Hitler to power, and the forces that were worked to oppose it, and those who attempted to boycott the 1936 Olympics. But more than anything, it talks about what can happen when nine people who come together and work as a team and what they can accomplish. It tells a story of nine young men who grew up in very hard circumstances. One of the young men, who's the star of the story, was basically abandoned by his family after his mother died. His father, at the age of 13, left to fend for himself. Oh, if college kids think they got it tough in the world, you ought to read what it took to go to college during the Great Depression. We got it easy. They had it hard. But what I learned about this story of rowing is that it all depends on teamwork and having the right person in the right seat in the boat. Let me show you a photograph of the gold medal winners. You notice that eight men are facing with their back to the direction that they're rowing, and one man is facing forward. Every person in the boat has a role to play. The man that's sitting in front of the man with the microphone is called the stroke. The stroke's job was to set the stroke pace. The man with the microphone or the megaphone would yell, 38 strokes a minute. And, they would, and he would set the stroke pace for the rest. Everybody in the boat had a role to play. The one in the middle was often the strongest, tallest, and the biggest of the rowers. The man sitting in the seat was often the lightest man, but he directed the boat. He guided the boat. He coordinated the efforts. He knew the members of his boat very, very well and knew what he could ask of them. He's called the coxswain, coxswain, the coxswain, the coxswain. He directs all the efforts. And what I learned is the success of a good rowing effort or not, it depends on the coxswain getting everyone rowing in the same direction at the right pace. And when everything is going right and, it's, and everybody's working in perfect harmony, it's called swing. Swing is that—it's like the runner's high. Uh, swing is like what happens on the football field when you're acting as a coordinated effort. It's when everybody's moving in perfect harmony together and the boat begins to plane and it requires less effort and it's more efficient. That's what they're all looking for is to get their swing. But it all requires the coxswain giving directions. So let's just talk for a moment about God bringing at the right time, bringing us all together. Let's just say we're all in the same boat together. Let's just say we've all been called to be a part of his church. You're not just an individual Christian alone in the world. You belong to something that's bigger than you. You belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And this is the right time in our world where everything's coming apart, that God's people come together and row in the same direction. But if that's going to happen for us, we've got to realize that it's not David Emery sitting in that seat. It's not our board sitting in that seat. It's not a person with a powerful, charismatic personality sitting in that seat. Not someone with an agenda sitting in that seat. But instead, it is Jesus Christ who sits in that seat. And if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, and if we're going to row together, and if we're going to get our swing, We're going to have to surrender our own personal agendas, our own personal opinions, our own desires, our own hurts, whatever, and get in the boat with him and let him direct our efforts and get under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about in this letter. If anybody knows something about getting in the boat, it would be Paul. You see, Paul himself, as you may remember his story in the book of Acts chapter 9, Paul wasn't in the boat at one point. Paul, in fact, was outside the boat and was actively persecuting the Christians and the followers of Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts chapter 9, Paul is on his way up to Damascus, going to persecute Christians. We're on the road. Jesus encounters him and said, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Paul. Paul is brought to his knees and of all people, of all the people in the world that day, he chose Paul to get in the boat with him. And at that moment, he surrendered his, his life to the authority of Jesus Christ and became one of his apostles. And when you get down to the book at the end of Acts, you realize what it did cost Paul to get under the authority. At the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, you find out where is Paul. Paul's life has led him to Rome. And in Rome, he's living under house arrest. He lives there for two years in chains and guarded. We find out that during that period of time, men and women would come to him to receive teaching and instruction on the way, the people of the way, the way of Jesus Christ. And there ultimately, after that, in 65 AD, Paul would be marched out of that room And they would execute him and take off his head. Also in the same year in Rome, tradition says that Peter, one of the other apostles, was also crucified the same way that Jesus was crucified, but upside down. And so if you want to know why Paul wrote the letter, where he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote it under house arrest. Paul wrote four letters, Colossians, Ephesians, Ephesians. Philemon, Philippians. He wrote all four of these letters called the prison epistles at some point during that two-year period when he was living there in Rome. So when we open up the letter, we know that this is not just someone writing from a point of view, living in ivory tower, disconnected from suffering, not knowing what was going on in the world. Someone who knew what it was like to feel the world coming apart. When he talks about everything coming together... He had a vision. He had a vision of what God was going to do in Jesus and that God was using him and his life to bring people together. And that us is his time. It's our time now, but at that time it was his time. And he says in chapter 1, verse 1, This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. That word apostle means someone who was sent. You see, Jesus chose 12 apostles from his disciples. He gave them his authority to go and teach and share the message of the church. Paul then, of all people, was chosen to be an apostle by Jesus himself and called to be sent to the Gentiles. The original apostles, they themselves were called to work among the Jewish people. So... Paul was then sent to the rest of the world. And at some point on his third missionary journey, he found himself in Asia Minor, which is now called Turkey. There in Asia Minor, he went to one of the great cities of the ancient world, Ephesus. Major, large city where they held one of the seven major wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. And people traveled from all over the world to worship at the temple of Diana, the goddess Diana. And people made a lot of money from this. When Paul was there, then he started this church. But you know what happened? Because people began to leave Diana and began to follow Jesus. It hurt the economy. Imagine this. The upheaval called by a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi who was a Christian, goes to a foreign town, tells people about the way of Jesus... And the people start turning away from Diana. In fact, they took many of the religious books devoted to Diana and burned them in the streets. This is all written in Acts chapter 19. And then we find out that people stopped buying the idols. What happens when you mess with the idols of a town and people start losing money off the religious business? People are unhappy. So he got into a conflict with a man by the name of Demetrius, a silversmith. Demetrius got all the townspeople, everybody all worked up, and they grabbed all these Christians and were going to kill them. They pushed them to an amphitheater. It says 2,000 or more people gathered and were shouted, Great is Diana! Is Is this fun? I'm having fun. Great is Diana! And they marched them up and they're about to execute them. Paul was going to march straight into the middle of that arena and preach the good news of Jesus But calmer heads prevailed and they prevented Paul from going and it spared Paul's life. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the letter to the Ephesians. Cooler heads prevailed. But I say that this morning to say to you, sometimes we forget that we live in a privileged time and in a privileged place. And sometimes because we're comfortable and because we got all things together in our house, we sometimes forget that we're called to play a special role in the world. You know, even though we have it comfortable and we forget that at one point it, being a follower just would cost their life, we're so comfortable, we forget that we're called to play a special role. May I remind you that we have been called at this time to live differently. You see, we have too have been called and chosen and sent. Paul wrote, I am writing to God's holy people in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm writing to God's holy people living in Middletown, Kentucky. The word holy is not a designation of your moral status, but rather your calling, meaning you've been set apart to live differently in a world divided by race and hate and fear and poverty. We have been called, we we have been chosen at this time to get in the boat to live differently in the city of Louisville. To live in a way that people will look at us and see that God is a good God, that God is a loving God, that Jesus indeed is the Christ by being his people. I'm asking you this morning, are you willing to get in the boat? Are you willing to let go of your own personal agenda and begin to listen as to what it means to be a part of the church? Tr- you can't be a Christian on your own. Christianity is not a solo act, it's a team sport. And we have a leader, his name is Christ. Are you willing to get in the boat and to be a part of a people who are making a difference? You know, I promise I'm going to take a breath in a moment. A difference in the world. He says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, in Louisville, in Middletown, who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ what does that mean to you to be a faithful follower what does it mean to follow him faithfully Well, one thing it means is he is Lord Jesus Christ Lord of our lives head of our church what does it mean for you to follow him. We may all come up with a different idea as to what that means, but I would ask us over these next few days and weeks to get in the boat and to learn from him what it means to grow in the knowledge of God. To ask, what is it that you want from us, Lord? What do you want from us at this time? And I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you who are here today maybe because you wanted to hear this message, or challenge you who are here because you're looking for yourself something personally, to become a part of something bigger than you. To be a part of the thing that God is doing in the world, all over the world. God's Holy Spirit is at work bringing people together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, whose lordship was demonstrated through crucifixion and through sacrifice for his enemies, who said, turn the other cheek. He said, love those who persecute you. Be merciful and kind. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To be a part of the of the people of God who who are working to bring mercy and goodness and love and grace to the world. I'm asking, are you in? Are you in? Can we count you in? I'm in. I want to be in. But it requires me surrendering my own will, acknowledging my own stubbornness, my own waywardness, my own sinfulness, but I know that if I will turn to him, if you will turn to him, he will not turn you away from his boat. All he wants you to do is just hop in, get in the right seat, and let him direct you. That's what we're going to learn over the next few weeks. We're going to learn about the knowledge of God. We're going to learn about his power. We're going to learn about his hope. And the reason is, that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Amen. Amen.